You know the saying, home is where the heart is. Uh, home is where the heart is. It's a, it's a saying that speaks to the fact that home is where uh, the people you love are. Uh, the ones that you love, the ones that love you, uh, the place where you can relax. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Ange and I uh, decided we'd buy land in Highfields and uh, that we'd move house. We, uh, we lived out near the showgrounds in Toowoomba here and, and we decided uh, we'll go somewhere where grass actually grows and it rains um, for our kids. Our kids were all really, really young and so uh, the plan was um, that we'd buy this land and then we'd sell our house and move into a rental um, uh, so that we had the funds to, uh, to help with uh, the build process. And it was, it was relatively straightforward. We, uh, we sorted out a builder, we got the land, uh, we put our house on the market and, um, and it sold really quickly. And we were really careful, at least I thought I was really careful, to make sure that the settlement date was right um, with our house, right? Because I was teaching at the time and I had a Canberra trip coming up where I was going to be away for over a week. And so we locked it all in, we were really excited about it, and then we realised after we locked it in that the settlement date was right in the middle of when I was going to be away, right? And Ange had four uh, young boys, and, and we just, it was like, oh, this is not cool at, at this point in time, right? Like, what are we going to do? It's like, I'm not going to camera and saying, have a good time, honey, I hope it's all done by the time I get home. Um, so the bottom line was that we had, we ended up having two weeks to move house, uh, with four young kids and so we frantically started looking for uh, for rental homes. We ended up finding this rental home but Ange wasn't able to go and have a look at it. So I just went and had a look at it. She went, yeah, that's good. There's a roof, there's walls and doors. Basically, we're in, right? Signed up to it. Ange didn't have, have a look at it at all and literally the first time that she saw it was when we were moving furniture in. It's like, hi, honey, do you like the house? Uh, it was one of those kind of moments and, and um, the interesting thing for me just in the back of my mind at that point in time was um, I wonder how this is going to work. Uh, the house was on a, on a main road, it was, um, it was on a small block, it wasn't really fitting for our family, we'd just come from living on an acre. Um, the house that we were coming from as I said was a house that we brought all of our kids back to after they were born in hospital. Um, and, um, and I just wondered about that. I wondered kind of how it would go. It was a nice house. It was a new one, but, but it was different, and, and I just wondered how it would work, and I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have wondered. Because, um, you know, one of the things I saw, again, which we all know, is your home is where your people are, Right? isn't it? And it didn't take long in this new house where I just went, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what house we're in, as long as our people are there, as long as we're there, it's home, right? Do you, do you know what I mean? That was, that was the vibe, you know? Um, and in a sense, if you wanted to split those two categories, the, the house was our rental, the home was our people. That's what it was, and we carried our home with us. You know, home is more about people than it is about place. Uh, that's really important to know. And, and, and we're going to look at the same thing in uh, the Gospel of John today. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love for you to crack that open. We're going to look at John 13, uh, verse 33. We're going to start at um, John 13, verse 33. 
going to go through to 14 verse 3. Jesus talking to the disciples after Judas has left, uh, the start of the betrayal. John 13 verse 33, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, I've intentionally read more verses uh, to give you a bit of context today about what we're looking at, because they give us a bit of a sense of, of what is going on here. But the verses we're actually going to be looking at are verses 1 to 3 of chapter 14. And we're going to see three things today. What we'll see is a person who thinks about you, a person you can trust, and a person you can call home. Let's kick in to the first one. A person who thinks about you. Now, the opening part of this section is a real head spinner. And here it is on the screen. John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. What Jesus is doing is he's introducing what he's going to be saying after that. Don't let your hearts be troubled and what he's doing is he's trying to help the disciples he's working to help the disciples to settle a little bit and you might go well what do they need settling from well Jesus has just said that Peter's going to deny him he's going to deny him he's going to disown him three times you know this assertion by Peter that he's going to be there to the end that he's going to lay his life down Jesus goes that's actually not going to be the case you're going to crumble under pressure that's what's going to happen um, and, and there's a sense here, I think, that the disciples would be disturbed by that. Um, maybe some are even thinking, if Peter goes down, what does that mean for us? That, that probably means that we're going to go down as well. And what Jesus is doing here is he's working to settle the disciples, to anchor them. And I want you to notice something about this verse that you can see up on the screen there as it uses this word trouble. Now, this word trouble pops up regularly, and, and for many of you, you know that the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And, and it's, it's interesting to note that this word trouble is the same Greek word that's popped up a couple of other times. Some of you might remember uh, the message I preached on uh, betrayal a couple of weeks ago, and there's a section in the middle where Jesus is face-to-face -face with Judas, and he's troubled in his spirit. Same Greek word. Same Greek word. Um, you know what's interesting about that? This is the same event. I'm not sure whether you're picking it up, but Jesus is the one that was troubled by betrayal, and now he's saying, don't be troubled. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I don't want you to miss the significance of what's going on here. Here's the significance of what's going on here. Jesus is concerned about the disciples' trouble in the midst of his own trouble. Do you get this? This is massive. 
Jesus is looking at the cross and he's walking inexorably toward the cross. He's just been face to face with his betrayer and he cares about and is doing something about the troubles that the disciples have got. Even doing something to steady the one that's going to disown him shortly. Now, that says a lot about him as a person, doesn't it? Sound with me on that? It says a lot about him as a person. On uh, Wednesday night, a couple of my boys and my dad and I went to the State of Origin game. And it was just a great night for Jesus to come back if you're a New South Wales supporter. I, uh, I got home from work and, uh, you know, you don't have to get me a hot pack or anything, right? But I've had a really bad back this week and uh, about, about two nights um, before we went to Origin, my back started. I got up in the morning, it was really sore and then the next day it was even worse. And so I'm kind of walking around like I've got some kind of boards, you know, strapped to my back. And uh, the staff kind of saw me doing it and it was partially funny and partially pity, which is, that's always the best combination um, and uh, anyway, so I, I managed to get home on Wednesday afternoon and I, I go straight through the door. My two boys are so pumped about the game, they're just ordering me around, right? They're just going, you seem to go and get that, Dad, we've got the stuff ready, I've got to get in the car, and what are you doing? What are you going in there for, Dad? And like, there's all this sort of stuff going on, and I'm just going like this <laughs> around the house. Um, they're just so excited about it because I, I just can't do anything very quickly and I've got to tell you that the main thing that I'm thinking about is minimizing pain that's that's the main thing that I'm actually thinking about and, and this is this is what it's like for us most of the time isn't it when trouble comes whatever it is whether it be physical or whether it be relational or whatever your trouble is it's hard not to just be thinking about the trouble and the pain is any, anyone with me on that that's what it was like for me. It's like, I cannot think about whatever you're saying about what I need to do. I just cannot think about it. Right now, I just need to get through this pain. Have you ever had that moment where you've been in the midst of trouble and someone comes up and asks you for something and your internal question is, do you have any idea what I'm dealing with right now? You ever had that? So you want me to do that? Do you have any idea what I'm dealing with right now? It's understandable, right? But you just need to know Jesus isn't like that. He just isn't like that. In the midst of his trouble, he was thinking about the disciples. Isn't that incredible? That, that's the kind of person that he is. And you need to know that for Jesus, this, this kind of approach is not just a past thing, it's a present thing too, right? Because I'm sure that some of you have tasted this a little bit in other people. Maybe not at the level that Jesus does it, but you've tasted it in other people where you've, you've, you've gone up to someone going through a whole bunch of trouble and, and, and there's so much going on for them, you know, and, and they kind of, they care about you. <laughs> I've had that. I've had people that I've gone up to and they're either going through intense trouble or they've got this terminal uh, disease that's actually going on and I've, I've sat down with them and we've had a little chat about what's going on for them and then they ask, and how are you going? <laughs> right? Um, and you're like, what? what? Why are you asking me how I'm going? 
why does that even matter? You, you've got a dozen tumours in your body right now and you're asking me how I'm going? You're in constant pain and you're asking me how I'm going? It just like blows the circuits in my brain. And what it tells you is that the person you're talking to has actually got a heart that's big enough to think about you even in the midst of their pain. They've got this capacity to think about someone else and, and not be totally consumed by the pain that they're in. And, and it's a little taste that we get of the way that Jesus operates. You know, we, we get this horizontal kind of taste of it, but Jesus just takes it to a whole new level. And, and this reality about Jesus speaks really powerfully to the doubts that pop up in our mind. And I want you to know that. And I want to throw a few of them your way. And, and some of these doubts are the doubts that tend to, I'll use this word a bit lately, they tend to dog us, all right? Um, here they are. Jesus has enough things to worry about. You ever thought that one? You've been in the middle of something and maybe it's a little thing and you're looking at the person next to you and you go, they've got something way bigger and more intense than me and, and so I don't know, I probably just won't talk to Jesus about that because he's just got enough things to worry about. The second one, I don't want to be a hassle to him. Oh, it's really nothing. And it's not. It's really nothing. I don't want to put another thing on his plate. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever thought any of these? It's a really simple truth for you to hear, which actually uh, and naturally flows out of the opening line of this section. And this is a truth you can take to the bank. It's on the screen here. If Jesus cared about the disciples' trouble in the midst of his own trouble... And he'll care about all of your troubles too. You can, you can take that one to the bank. Second thing I want to look at today is a person you can trust. We see this in verse 1. Um, uh, John 14 verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What's Jesus doing here? Well, he's helping the disciples to get to a place where they won't be troubled internally. That's what he's doing. Uh, who knows being troubled internally is not fun? <laughs> it's just not. It's like no one gets up in the morning and says, I'm just looking forward to being messed up internally today. All right? No one ever thinks that. Um, and, and what you actually see in our world, you see it big time on social media, is there is no end of life hacks online to help you to make your life go in a good direction to deal with these internal troubles that people have. No one likes to stay in a place where our internal world is messy and disturbed. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning that uh, I remember hearing a pastor called Bill Clem ask years and years ago. It's a great question. It's this one. Do you want a trouble-free life or a trouble-proof life? Now, of course everyone wants a trouble-free life, <laughs> okay? Anyone give me an amen for that? And it's like, yeah, of course, all right? Some of you are going, no, I'm not, because I know what Peter does with this stuff, right? And he's going to catch me out. 
this is what eternity is going to be, is going to be trouble-free. But I want to ask you the same question with a slight tweak to it. And here it is. Which, which one is better? A trouble-free life or a trouble-proof life? It's a different question, right? Uh, what would you say? I want you to slow down and have a look at these two options closely. I want you to see something about the way that people operate. And, and there's something that sits underneath this question uh, that is going to be helpful, helpful for us today. And it's this. Everyone anchors their life somewhere. Everyone. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The reason why this is the case is because when God created every single one of us, he made us dependent. We don't have what it takes within ourselves to do life the way that we were designed to do it. We actually are dependent beings. We're not self-sufficient. Another way to put it, and this is a, a term that I haven't really used much in the church, but I think it's absolutely the case, is that we are unceasing trusters. We are unceasing trusters. We never stop trusting something or someone as the anchor for our life. Now, it doesn't matter whether today you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Everyone is an unceasing truster because everyone is finite, everyone's dependent, and no one has everything within themselves to make their lives go the way that they either want them to go or they should go in a sense or they could go you know there's two common uh, anchor points for uh, for people who are unceasing trusters uh, revealed by this question on the screen and it's important to note at this point in time that there's more okay I think that people can trust in people as well but I'm just identifying the two that you can see in the question here and and here's the two Anchor points, circumstances and Jesus. Those are your anchor points. These, these cover most of the, the bases. You know, the question about trouble-free life or trouble-proof life when it comes to internal peace really comes down to where you anchor. That's what it comes down to. Um, and, and here's the bottom line. If you, you know, you, you think about a ship with a with an incredibly thick rope, you know, one of those anchor ropes, and it's got that, that big iron anchor on the end of it. And you think about you as a person having one of those. It's like, what's going to anchor you? What's going to anchor you so that your internal world can be peaceful and calm? Um, one of the places you can anchor is into your circumstances, right? The things that are happening around you, that's what you can do. And here's the bottom line. If you anchor into your circumstances, you're going to shift and move depending on the circumstances. And in a fallen world, really, really rough things happen. And, and in a fallen world, your circumstances get disturbed. And like the ocean, when your circumstances get disturbed, they start moving around. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to start moving around. It's just how it works. You're going to be at the whim of everything which happens to you. And I want to say to you this morning, that's not a very secure anchor for you to walk through a fallen world. It's not gonna, it doesn't work well. Does anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't work well. But 
But the weird thing about it for us is, is we kind of have this setting where we keep wanting to anchor there. It's like if I just get that thing, I'll be okay. Or if I just get that job, I'll be okay. And if I get another $100,000 somewhere, I'll be okay. If I just had a better paying job, I'd be okay. Or if I had a, a spouse who loved me better, I'd be okay. And so what you're doing in every single one of those circumstances and every other one is anchoring into circumstances. And when they shift and move, you shift and move. And I'll tell you something, the people around you can probably see it. They can feel it because you get up in the morning and you're different one day to the next. Why? Because the circumstances shifted and your anchor is anchored into your circumstances. You can see it with the disciples here. You can see what Jesus is doing is he's saying, don't anchor into your circumstances. He has a better option. What does he say? He tells the disciples to anchor into him and anchor into the Father. And I want to say to you, that is not inner peace that's dependent upon a trouble-free life. That is a trouble-proof life, folks, at that point in time, isn't it? Here's the, uh, here's the scripture again, John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God or believe also in me. Now, there's a couple of ways to understand this second sentence that Jesus says up there. Um, but I think the best way to understand it is Jesus is giving some directives about what you need to do. Um, he's telling the disciples to believe in the Father and to believe in him. Now, on the surface, to the untrained eye, it might look like Jesus is saying you need to have some kind of intellectual assent. There's some things in your head that you need to believe about who he and the Father actually is. But you need to know that believe according to Jesus is never intellectual assent alone. Of course, it makes sense. Of course, Jesus speaks the truth. Of course, there are things about Jesus that are true but belief according to Jesus is always trust as well that's what true belief is and Jesus's um, descriptions belief is about putting your life on the line it's about trusting so you could actually rework that sentence there at the end instead of you believe in God believe also in me to trust in God trust also in me and some translations of the Bible actually do that What's, what's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying that if you anchor into him and not into your circumstances, then you'll have a steady anchor. That's what he's saying. Uh, and this is what he's encouraging the disciples to do. They are going to be tested right to the edge and probably over it. And he's saying, if you anchor in me, you'll be steady. Have you experienced that? Have you ever had the experience of being in a really, really brutal situation but you were anchored into Jesus and you were steady right in the middle of it? I have. I've had lots of them. I've had lots where I haven't, but I've had lots of them too. And those who walk with Jesus for a while, you know what I'm talking about because you've had them too. Stuff's happened. 
and it's like there's been this category five cyclone just running right over the top of you and somehow in the middle of that the grace of God has enabled you to trust in him and you've been steady and I want to say to you that's what we're aiming for folks more and more steadiness that comes out of anchoring into Jesus in the middle of every situation rather than into our circumstances that's a sign that you're becoming more truly human when you trust him and you become and you stay steady in the midst of disturbing uh, circumstances I should say all right let's move on to um, point number three this morning Jesus is a person you call home now we're going to look at verses two to three about uh, Jesus um, the father's house having many rooms and uh, Jesus preparing a place and you just seem to know lots of people have done lots of different things uh, with these verses and, and on the surface of it it seems that Jesus is talking about something spatial about physical spaces um, that there's a mansion in heaven and God has got a room for you there that Jesus dies and he ascends into heaven and he's basically been swinging a hammer for the last 2,000 years, getting the mansion ready for you to actually move in when you die, when Jesus comes back. Uh, and while the scripture, I think, does teach that there is a spatial reality to, to, uh, to heaven, the new heaven and the new heavens and the new earth, um, I, don't, I don't think this is the main thing that Jesus is talking about here. Um, I want to take it with you uh, section by section. So let's start with the first bit john 14 verse 2 it opens with my father's house well what's that about well the father's house is where the father is that's what a house is and that's the point of what jesus is saying here is the father's house is where the father dwells um recently um I had my best mate Kurt up and um he, he stayed at our house, right? And, um, and our house is home to Ange and I and the four boys, four Sondergeld boys. Our house is where the Sondergelds dwell. That's what it is. Um, and, and do you know something? If Kurt comes to our house where the Sondergelds dwell, he comes to where the Sondergelds are. Uh, he, he comes to the centre of where the Sondergelds are. Um, and, and that's what happens when you, when you go and you stay at someone's house. And I know that you all know this, but I'm, I'm just helping you to see it. It's like when he comes and stays at our house, he's not just coming to talk with me. He's, he's coming to engage with all the Sondergirls. Why? Because that's where the Sondergirls dwell. And, and this is what Jesus is saying about going to the Father's house. Like, it's not just like this mansion thing that Jesus has been swinging a hammer. It's actually about going to the place where the Father dwells. There's a really close connection there. And, and if you go to the Father's house, if you go to his house, you'll interact with the Father. It's his place. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, the second bit, John 14, verse 2, my Father's house has many rooms. And, and is this not just a beautiful thought? There is space for you in the Father's house. Um. This is, this is on offer, isn't it? Um, if you love Jesus, he's got a space for you. 
Um, if you don't love Jesus and you start loving Jesus, well, he's got one for you too. Here's, here's a few thoughts. Uh, God does not have a no vacancy sign up in heaven. Amen? Isn't that good? Um, there's room in his house for you. You know, we, we drive home on the New England Highway north toward Highfields uh, multiple times a day and there's a motel on the left and it must just be really popular because it's near the, the range crossing and it's almost no vacancy all the time. Sorry, you, we don't have any space for you. Um, what Jesus is saying here is that the Father won't ever do that to you. He won't ever say, sorry, don't have a spot for you anymore. He has space for you. You know, we were... Um, mentioned before that we went to Origin on Wednesday night this week and we, uh, we drove our car down to, um, to a train station, no, not that far from Milton train station. We just thought we'll just park there, we'll jump on the train and, and go in there and we got talking to the um, attendant who was looking after the platforms and everything that day and he goes, yeah, look, he goes, I can't really understand it, but the train that's actually coming that will take you to Milton to get off to go to the Origin game is actually only a three-car train and I don't know why they're doing a three-car train on Origin night, right? It didn't make any sense. So the three-car train comes along and it is like sardines in this thing, right? It, it's like a Japanese train. That's, that's the only thing, picture I can give you and and we're standing, we're just going, we're, we're still getting on. Like, there is no room on the train. And so we're standing there, and we're standing in front of the doors, and, you know, you've got the button there to open the doors. I don't even know whether I'm going to open the button because 30 people could fall on top of me and kill me. And this lady, you know, the doors open, and this lady comes out. And so the Sondergeld lads, three generations of them, decide that's our chance because four Sondergeld men are going to fit into the space of a, one small lady. So we just step up on top of this train and um, on top of the, uh, the, the doorway and, and all, the, all the people in there just went, yeah, we can do this, right? And so everyone's moving around and shoving in and, I mean, it, it was, you didn't even need to hold on to a handle, right? It was that, it was that packed in there and, and uh, so uh, we, we kind of got in there and it, it was pretty awesome. And then this other group of people came along and, and everyone said, no, nah, no, nah. nah, too full. Bam, shut the doors. <laughs> You'll have to wait for the next one, I yelled out to him. Well, I'll tell you something. It's, it's never going to be like that in God's house. You get that? You're not going to just have standing room only and then hear the cry, no room, mate. No room. There'll be room just for you. A place to dwell forever. You'll get welcomed in. You'll get welcomed in. Let's go on to the next bit. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus is going to make arrangements for you to be in the father's house. Now, one thing you need to know about the scriptures, and uh, this is a, uh, the case with Jesus as well, is uh, the scriptures often mix in together different times that it's actually talking about. And you can see that, I think, in this uh, verse here. Um, 
You know, if you think that what is going on here in these verses is mainly spatial, that Jesus has got to go and prepare a mansion for you, then the bit of Jesus going away to prepare things for you is him going to actually prepare the dwelling for you. It's kind of Jesus' ascension when he leaves at the end of his ministry, that he's going to go and he's going to pull things together for us to move into the Father's house. Um, But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says he's going to prepare a place for you. Why? Because going to the Father's house isn't mainly about a spatial reality. It's mainly about dwelling with the Father. And that is consistent with the whole of Scripture. You know, the, the, the whole purpose of everything that God has done through the whole of human history is that you would dwell with Him. That's the point of it, you know. And sometimes people get carried away with Christianity and they go, oh, they're just using it for control to achieve their own ends. And I just go, yeah, it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. All of that is all rubbish. And whenever Christians do use Christianity to control things and for their own ends, they're getting it wrong. Because the purpose, the whole way through Scripture, of everything that God's doing is that you would dwell with Him. That's the point of it. I mean, you go right back to Genesis chapter 2, where it talks about God planting the garden. What is he doing? Well, it's a place where he walks because he wants to dwell with his people. And you just see it over and over and over and over through the scriptures. You see these, these phrases like, I will be with them, I will be their God, I will dwell in their midst. And it happens over and over and over and over again. And then the person of Jesus comes and he comes in human flesh. Why? Because that's what God does. God dwells with his people. That's what he does. And there's nothing better for you than to be with God. And if you're not connected to God and you're not close to him, there will be nothing better in your life than be connected with God and being really close to him. And you go, you go right through the whole biblical story arc and you get to this bit at the end of the book which tells you where we're going. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is the goal and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is where we're going. And it's actually consistent with what's been happening the whole way through. Now, here's my question. How do you get to dwell with God? How does an unholy, sinful person who hasn't cared at all, hasn't given a rip about God, which all of us are in that point, at some point in time, some maybe even right now, how does that person get to dwell with God? What preparations does Jesus need to attend to so that that person can dwell with the Father? Well, if you've been in the church long enough, you, you know the answer, right? The only way is for him to walk to the cross, to the Roman cross, to be crucified on it, be raised from the dead, and then for him to bring you in. See, 
that's the preparation that I think Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about going and swinging a, he- a hammer in heaven for 2,000 years. He's talking about going and having someone swing, swing a hammer against him. That's the preparation. And then the rest is logical, really. And we go into the next section in John 14, 2 to 3. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. This is future tense, folks. This is the second coming. He's coming back to get you. Yeah. One person's excited. Isn't that good? And he'll call you by name because he knows your name. And there's not going to be any more fog. No more inability to see him. He's going to come back and he's going to take you to be with him and the Father. Face to face forever. Now, I don't care what you've done in your life, what good things have happened to you. They will be like holding up a candle to the sun in terms of the sheer enjoyment and pleasure that you'll have on that day and the pleasure that you'll have for the rest of eternity. You should look forward to that. So I want to finish by dealing with something which doesn't really get thrown around too much anymore, which is connected to this, Um, at least not in our context anyway. I haven't heard it for years. I used to hear this particular saying said uh, frequently. Um, It was a criticism of Christians, actually, Um, and maybe an appropriate criticism, and it's this one. Christians are so heavenly-minded, they are no earthly good. Have you heard that one? In some ways, I think it used to be a pretty fair criticism. It aligned well with the way that a bunch of Christians actually used to do life on the earth. They thought so much about heaven, they were useless in the present, really. Um, They didn't think much about what was going on on earth. But I want to suggest to you this morning that I don't think that's our main problem anymore. Here's something that I think gets closer to the problem that we have, and it's it's this. Uh, We try too much to make this place like home. I'm not saying it's, uh, it's wrong to order things a certain way or to work hard to provide for your family or work hard to make your space in the world home to some extent. You know, I, I think there's something inside of us that God's, God's kind of inputted into us where it's like this world actually was meant to be our home, right? That, that was the idea in the beginning is that it was meant to be our home. And so there's, I think one of the things that we find in ourselves and we, is we find ourselves... Inside of us, there's longing to just kind of make this place like home. But the thing is that it's just all busted and wrecked now. And there's a whole bunch of really good things that are part of this world. But there's a bunch of parts about it that are just busted and and, and wrecked, you know. And so there's this dynamic inside of us where it's like the original call back in Genesis chapter 1 to exercise dominion, to bring about order and kind of make the place home kind of still sits inside of us. But now it's just not like that anymore. It's just not home anymore even though we still have this instinct inside of us and and the really kind of frustrating thing about it is that we still kind of go to do that 
And, and sometimes I think we get a bit tricked sometimes by just thinking about home in a spatial sense instead of the people that you're with and being with the Father. And it's like we've just got to feather our nest and get the things that we want and make our life comfortable and get the technology that we need and the appliances we need in our house. We need to get the things repaired. We need to get the money that we need to do the things that we think are going to make our lives good. And all the while, it's like trying to make this place home. And, and the thing about trying to make the place home is that you can kind of get a little bit of that sense that it's home, but then it just gets really disappointing sometimes. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Because it just sucks sometimes. You know, and, and what that is, is that's the futility that God promised would happen and told everyone would happen in, in Genesis 3 and Romans picks up on the same thing, I think in chapter 8. And good things just get wrecked. And we're just in this world now that can't be our home the way that we want it to be because sin's wrecked it. And so we have these longings inside of us now that you can't get fulfilled in this world. You hear me? You're not going to get it the way that you want it to be. Some of you still believe the lie on the inside. I'm not having a go at you. I just want something better for you. Some of you still believe the lie. If I just get dot, 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 I'll be fine. And I'll say, no, you won't. Because it doesn't last. Because futility is going to get to it. And then there'll be another thing that you need to get. And you'll be on this constant treadmill trying to get things to try and make this place home. And your issue is you're making the wrong place home. It can never be home the way that you want it to be home. And so what happens when we're trying to make this place home is, is a combination of disappointment and anger, right? Because you work really, really hard and then it just doesn't come off. Or you've worked really hard and you've, you've done things as best as you can and you've kind of, and I say this in the most positive way possible, you've kind of feathered your nest and you've made it, you feel like you've just gotten it to the point where it's, it's going to be good and you're going to feel like home and you're going to have a good run and then you start getting sick. And you just have one after the other, you just have things going on that, in your body that just start to break down. And I don't mean to be negative, but it's just the way that it works, isn't it? Even when we get to the point where we go, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be, it just doesn't last that long. And if you persistently try to make this world home, you will ongoingly be disappointed and angry. Because it's just, it's the wrong place. It's the wrong place. Just can take a, just a rabbit hole for a sec. Another expression of this is, is the cry for justice. We want there to be justice. Things happen to people, they, and it's unfair, and it is unfair, and it's not right. And sometimes I hear it in myself, I hear it in other people. It's like, I want justice, and it's like, well, it's not for now. You might be able to get a little bit of it now, but it's not for now. That's, that's later on. There'll be a day where God brings about justice and everything will be fair on that day. Everything. 
and then you'll get to be somewhere where there's always justice. What's my point? My point is that you have longings which are longings for eternity, not now. Not now. And one of the biggest temptations, one of the biggest deceptions, perhaps even in a materialistic culture, in a wealthy culture, and we're all wealthy comparative to the rest of the world, is to deal with this drive within us that if we just had the right things, we'd be okay, we'd be at peace and at home. And as I said before, some of it's possible, some of it's on offer, but not at the level that you ultimately want. been here at the church here for a while you'd know that um, one of the categories we use to describe humanity is that we're relational worshippers we're relational by nature and so we always do relationship and we're worshippers by nature uh, there's always a God that's in the center of our lives and so whatever is in the center of our lives is the thing that we worship that we give our um, selves to in relationship and you can see in this section of John 14 how it all comes together beautifully can't you because God wants you to go back to his place and live with him forever be in relationship with him with the one who is the greatest I uh I taught in a Christian school for many years and uh, one of the things I used to say regularly to, uh, to students because everyone would talk about heaven and they go, oh, yeah, no, we, we all want to go to heaven, you know, you, you pretty much, I mean, you go, to, go up to anyone and you say to them, do you want to go to heaven? I go, yeah, I do. I mean, there's not many people that would say, no, nah, that place sounds like it stinks, right? Uh, people want to go to heaven but... Do you know, what, this, uh, ver- what these verses out of John 14 tell us is that, you remember where I started? Home is where the heart is. Remember I said that home is about the people that you love and the people that love you? See, that gets close to what heaven is going to be about. It's going to be about being with the Father. It's about being loved by the Father and you loving the father and so I used to say to students in the Christian school that I taught uh, I used to say you know what if you don't like Jesus you are not going to want to go to heaven because heaven's all about Jesus see they thought about heaven mainly as a spatial place with physical dimensions where they could go and do what they wanted to do and everything would be great and I do think there is a dimension to heaven that is that but mainly it's about dwelling with a particular person that's what it is that's what Jesus is saying 